class, I want to introduce myself to you. Uh, first off, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be with you tonight. Um, Father Waltz and I worked alongside each other at St. Mary's Central High School, the high school in town, for five years. Uh, he's, a, uh, he's a good friend, uh, probably I would say a great friend, to me and my boys and my family, and I just have a lot of respect for him as an educator, as a teacher. As you have all probably figured out, it is very difficult to match this guy's passion, okay? I don't know about you, but most of the time, if I knew that he was talking, which he liked to do a lot of, that I wanted to come back. And I think that's the key as an educator, and especially in the area of religious studies, spirituality, or faith, <clears throat> is, to want, is to want young people, young adults, to want to keep coming back in the door. And that's what he does. And that's what he provided at St. Mary's Central High School, as some can attest in here. And that's what I guarantee he's providing you. And so I don't step in here just thinking, you know, um, this is just some evening where I'm just going to put my time in. I know what he brings to the table, and I share that same enthusiasm. And I don't quite have his charism, but I'm excited to move you forward in this class. Okay, he's a Christian spirituality. That's what we're in, right? I'm going to take a little bit of a detour tonight, and I'm going to talk a little bit on relativism. I'm going to move that relativism into the sacrament of marriage. All right? But I'm going to tell a lot of stories in there. All right? So you can see and understand how it played out and it continues to play out in my own marriage. All right? Before I do that, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's stay in routine. Go ahead and face the crucifix. Let's pray the prayers of the church. Pray in our Father, hail Mary, and glory be for us as we continue to search for the truth um, that God desires of us. Pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy own Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Patrick, pray for us. Mary, Queen of Victory, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The green coat has been on long enough. I'm hot. It's hot in here. Matty, you might have to be my heat controller. Okay? So... <clears throat> I have been at St. Mary's Central High School for this is my 11th year and I've taught 9th and 10th grade and 11th and 12th grade religion all right uh, coached football for the last 11 years and I've been the strength coach for the last five years six years and then this year is my first year as the assistant principal at St. Mary's Central High School so I'm getting my master's right now in secondary administration from the University of Mary which is my alma mater how am I tied into the University of Mary? Played football out here for five and a half years. That's way longer than what it should take to get an education in four. But I had a couple of injuries. One was a stress fracture in my back, which allowed me a medical. Um, and then I had a normal red shirt my freshman year. So I was out here for a long time, and I also played basketball for a couple of years out here, and I love it. All right, it's home. When I come here 
and I see the view, and I see the people. I was just the library, checked out a book. It's the same lady, and she takes care of me. And it's a community. The values that I learned out here of St. Benedict are beautiful. And I've been married for eight years and four children, okay? And so here's what I want to do tonight. First off, share with you before I get into anything on subjective, objective truth, a bit on more, uh, moral relativism, and then it, on a hunkering down into marriage today. Before I get into kind of an understanding of relationships and what it is we need to be looking for um, in somebody that we perhaps want to date, court, and marry, all those things at the end. And before my wife comes and we answer your questions, that's going to happen also at about 8 o'clock. So I'm going to go from pretty hard from here until about 8, maybe one break in there. And then you're going to, you're going to write down a bunch of questions for me and my wife, Tamara, in any area of marriage that you want. And I would guess that some of it will probably focus in on some of the stories that I'm going to tell tonight. Before I go anywhere there, the thing I'm most proud of in my life is my family. All right? And so you see here that I have my wife and my four children. And I would say, if you can understand this, um, you know that a priest is in a special way married to his parish. Right? And so he steps in for Christ. Christ is the bride. Room, the parish is the bride. And you know that in a special way that a priest steps in for Jesus in Persona Triste and he really ends up being married to his parish. Okay, that's his spouse, the church. Okay, here is pretty much what the church would say from family life perspective what's going on there. And so, what is Father Walt's job to try to get you guys in the way of? Truth, beauty, and goodness, the transcendentals to heaven. And that's what he's trying to teach you so you're prepared for your ultimate goal in life, which is heaven. So what is my ultimate goal? To help get my wife and my children, while they're under my roof, the tools that they need intellectually, morally, spiritually to get to heaven. And to be honest, that's what St. Joseph did. And gentlemen, that's what a real man tries to do. All right? I'll be honest. This is not easy to do, especially as they get older and they get smarter and they get lippier. It's not easy to do. And then you throw one in there that has a temperament opposite of you and wants to butt heads with you. And now you got to figure out how to connect. And that would be this kid challenges me like you can't believe nonstop. Okay? He's ridiculous, but he's enduring. He has this like horizontal lisp when he talks. So he's like, yeah, why do we have to go to church? <laughs> so you can't help but kind of love him, but at the same time, you want to kind of beat him. Like, what do you mean why do we have to go to church? You know why. It's good for you. He's stupid, you know? <laughs> and he's five, right? So there's the family. Okay, my wife, Tamara. Not going to sugarcoat anything. She is, to me, the example of heroic virtue. Here she's pregnant with Gianna, our little girl, who came a year ago, November 11th. So her birthday was on uh, Veterans Day. Uh, there she's just trying to get some chocolate in. She's resting on her belly today. <laughs> she's got Gianna in it. Just a nice little picture of what it means sometimes to lounge out. Here you can see that it isn't all peaches and cream. 
Okay. Um, I want to say, I want to say that that was maybe even Vince, and it was after an emergency C-section. And so we had Brady and Max normal, then Vince, emergency C-section, and then we went back with Gianna to normal birth, all right, because Tamara fit all the criteria to do so, all right? But, I mean, I, I couldn't have a better example, and you'll see what I mean, um, of somebody who is a beautiful example to my children on what it means to truly selflessly love, all right? She sacrificed for me from the very beginning. A couple of people know that in here, Courtney, Rachel. You guys know that the only reason I stayed at St. Mary's is because she got her doctorate in pharmacy online through Creighton so that I could t continue on in Catholic education. And so we had two children, the oldest, okay, which are right here. Brady's in there. And then, of course, uh, Shlava, Max, while she was going to pharmacy school. All right, so she pulled a lot of all-nighters catching up on lectures, and but, but did it all. So I am, I mean, of the two, I'm far less intelligent. I don't know how she did that, okay? Um, so, and there she is, just being mom, reading to our children. She's constantly, constantly loving um, our kids and putting us before herself, okay? Our boys, no, this is not a member of ISIS, all right? <laughs> These guys are Christian. And they understand the Christian uh, way of life. They just, they just wanted to be ninjas, all right, that day. Um, also, just trying to instill in them an understanding of work ethic is like pulling teeth, you know? Because they'd rather sit and watch TV and, and uh, you know, Max could sometimes just sit and Vince too. I mean, they can sit on the couch, you guys, and just bathe themselves in Doritos. And be like, mm -hmm, and, and, and like take a Dorito bath. And they could spill pop, like on the leather couch, and just sit in there and bathe. I've seen them do it. And they don't even move. They don't, they're not even like, ah, oh, dad, might want to come down here. They just lay in it. Okay, and, and it's, it's, it's comical, but at the same time, I'm like, what's the matter with you guys? You could do this. You could go into like an eating and watching TV binger for like two weeks and they would never come out of the, If I provided them food and drink, they'd stay in the basement for two weeks before they'd even come out and see the light. And so to get them outside actually doing something is kind of fun. Brady's the big brother. Brady's the oldest. He likes to hunt. It's a little psychotic up there on the top right. He thinks he's pretty cool because he got to go to a Broncos game. He loves the Broncos. I don't know how that slipped through, but I'm a Cowboys fan. Okay? Max, I think, to say the least, is, is unique. Okay? Um, caught his first fish. Caught his first frog. Uh, thinks he's Batman. Um, pissed off at life shooting things. <laughs> and then just has uh, the look in his eye like, I'm the man. Okay? So you got Max there. All right? Then you got the third boy, Vincent. Okay, uh, Vincent is the kid that, uh, I don't know what he was going to do with this cap. <laughs> Maybe kick it right in the gut. I have no idea. He's the kid that I came home one day, and he's hauling Gianna across the living room floor by her feet. Okay, and Gianna's like, <laughs> just enjoying it. So she probably will be the toughest of all of them. But Vince is the kid that, uh, what did he do? 
he went into the bathroom on one occasion, locked himself in there, um, took out all of the lipstick and put it all over the, the window and all over himself, or the mirror. Okay, my wife couldn't get in because he opened up the drawer. And so she's like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, you know, giggling this cack, just this evil kind of cackle, you know, like, I own you. You can't do anything about this. All right, so then, what else did the kid do? Oh, that, that, the same day, he went into the kitchen, got out all the flour and poured it everywhere. And he was like doing snow angels in it. So then we put him up in his crib. And so then he decides to take his diaper off and pee in it. Just pee all over the crib. Yeah, like a drunk guy. <laughs> Only he's two, right? And then, all on the same day, the other thing he did is he took a bunch of, a big bag of those dried apples, which my wife buys thinking I'm gonna eat, which I never do. That's a cough drop, open. Okay, and so he then dumps those all out over the basement. That's one day, that's in a matter of three hours. That's what you have to look forward to, okay? But he's the sweetest thing ever. So yeah, inquisitive, that works. Gianna, okay? So Gianna is the only girl at this time, and you can see how you have to get creative when you go on vacation and there's not a bathtub, you put her in a cooler. This was just on Sunday after Mass. Uh, by the car with the, I don't think you can see my cursor. Okay, don't worry about it. And again, a little bit about what I do at St. Mary's, <coughs> coach and teach. And there's you girls, I think after Gianna was born. Rachel, you're in there. Courtney, are you in there? Well, thanks, Courtney. What a friend you are. Okay, and so there's a couple of things going on there now. I love you, Courtney. Okay. Now, to get to uh, a couple of things, you guys, that I'm very passionate about, all right? You should write these things down. It is not going to hurt you one bit, all right? And you can compare them with Father Waltz's notes, and then from there, he can do with it what he wants to do with it. I don't care. But it's not like this is going to kill you to hear it one more time. Truth. If you look at what truth is in the dictionary, if you just look at the dictionary, and it would make sense with what we're trying to do, you guys, theologically and philosophically, at a Catholic university, but at any university, really, it's this idea that something that conforms to reality, it's an objective fact. Okay? It's an objective fact. Now, it could be something as simple as 2 plus 2 equals 4. It certainly could be if you want to use scientific method and you want to get to that degree. But we don't just believe that the only way we can come to know truth, obviously, is through scientific method. And so the philosophy, you guys, that's kind of, as Father Waltz has told you, it seems to be pervading in our day and age is this idea of relativism. There's no reality, no objective fact outside of what each person thinks or feels. And so what I think and what I feel, what I think and what I feel is true. All right? I'm going to let you write a little bit more so that as you get done with it, we can discuss and you can kind of focus. And so you can see the difference between the two 
truth and relativism, and then the differences in types of truth. You can see that objective truth would correspond with truth in general, and subjective truth would correspond to this understanding of relativism. And you can even write down the G.K. Chesterton quote, which I think is phenomenal. And I'll elaborate upon that momentarily. Now, why do I have the picture of me and my wife? Because I want to give you a good, solid understanding of how this plays out in a relationship. I want you to understand how Tamara and I lived this out. And so, as you finish up, I'm going to give you a few Batman and Robin slides. Did Father Waltz give you any of these? You better not have. He stolen them from me. And then I would have had to wrestle him, make him look stupid, in front of all of you, right here in this front. Does this thing move? That's solid. So we would have done it like right there. Okay? At break time, I'm going to let you watch my kids destroy him with boxing gloves. Okay? So when we break and you're writing questions, I'll, I'll just put it on play, and you can sit and watch it. We got to play. You didn't get to play last time, did he? No. Okay, so you can watch. He's so good with kids. My kids love him. So here it is. Objective truth, reality as it is, apart from what we think or feel. All right? And so, yes, we could say it's 2 plus 2 equals 4 and not 5, but we could also say this that I believe abortion is wrong, and here's why. Because inherently, the way I've been made, by being made in God's image and likeness, I know, you guys, what right and wrong are through the natural law. Now, the problem is, is that a relativist would say, you can't know. Okay, so, what sucks about this is that when it comes to truth, and objective truth, reality as it is apart from what we think or feel, if we use science and we use mathematics and we use equations and we come up with these things that they would say can be measured, now we know that it's real and it's truthful. But what really sucks is that when you start talking about the areas of faith and morals, now it comes down to this. What each individual thinks or feels about reality because they would say those things can't be measured. Well, just because something can't be measured doesn't mean it doesn't exist. For example, my mom loved me growing up. I can't necessarily measure how much love there was, but I guarantee you she loved me. And I know that love is somewhat abstract. And guess what? The love that she gave me existed. Whether you like to admit it or not. And I can say the same thing about how much I trust my dad. Okay? Trust in a certain sense is an abstract thing. But I do know that based on our relationship, that I could at least put my trust in a trustworthy source outside of even the church and my dad. That experience exists. Now, do I have a Likert scale and a rubric that can measure it? Probably not necessarily. Like somewhat, somewhat agree. Neutral, somewhat disagree, like really disagree. That's just stupid, okay? 
Well, Dad, back when I was eight, on the Likert scale, you were actually quite neutral. What was going on? Okay? Was it a hard time for you in your life? <coughs> but I'm telling you, you guys, in this search for truth, which me and my wife had to go through, as far as even our religious denomination is concerned, we had, I had to latch on to something. I had to begin to understand that there is truth in the area of faith and morals and who I am as a young Catholic man at this university. Because all my friends were Protestant. None of my best friends were Catholic. And I kind of knew my faith, but I didn't know it as well as G.K. Chesterton did. <laughs> Look at what he says. The mind is like the mouth. It should close on something solid. You always hear people say, you just need to be open-minded. You just need to be open-minded. All right? And I agree with that to a certain extent. But when it, comes to, when it comes to something that has to do with our end goal in mind, which for us is heaven, when we start to understand something to be truthful, guys, I'm closing my mind on that one. Because we can't chew anything with our mouth open. When it comes to something along the lines of, I believe that the Catholic Church uh, possesses all that I need in order to make it to heaven and is the vehicle for my salvation, that didn't always come to me, but I'm closing my mouth on that one. I'm closing my mind on that one. And I'm always going to, always going to love everyone. Because it's all about how you present it. And it's all about how you live your life and how you love. But don't you ever feel sad don't you ever feel bad about saying, as I have searched for truth in my life and I have continued to do this and I have listened to the people God has put in front of me, this is, this is what I have become convicted of in the area of faith and morals and I believe this to be true. You can do that. Okay? doesn't make any sense to try to eat with your mouth open. Have you ever heard any of these things? That might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Relativism. Get him. He's just kind of smacking him up. Wake up. Well, you have your truth, and I have my truth. Relativism. Well, personally, I believe. Whap. As long as you are sincere in your belief, it's true. It doesn't have anything to do with feelings. I'm sorry. But your opinion, even though it might be in all sincerity, and your feelings, doesn't have anything to do with it. Now, is it nice when those mesh? Yeah. Real nice. It's beautiful. In fact, it's beautiful. But it doesn't have anything to do with it. Because there's going to be a lot of things that I have to do in my life that are the right thing to do, and my feelings say, don't do it but I still have to do it because it's the right thing to do. Why? Because I know it's right. Because deep down, I understand inherently what is right and what is not right, and it might even have to do with my own children. Well, you can't really know anything for sure. That doesn't even make sense when it comes to even science, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. This is the one 
This is the one, you guys, that got me and my, my girlfriend. This is the one that got us. Okay, now, I'm not talking about like comparative Eastern religions. I'm talking about what we have underneath the umbrella of Christianity. And I have no idea, I have no idea if any of you in here are dating, much less dating somebody who's not Catholic or who doesn't share the same denomination as you. I have no idea, all right? But uh, what I do know is that if you're not smart and if you don't think through things, you might end up in one of these relationships and it, hopefully my story with my wife can be of some assistance because I got to a point, like I said to you, I came from a family where my mom, okay, and you don't need to write anything for a while so you can just chill. My mom was raised and baptized Catholic, but she never went to Mass, very seldom. My dad, Lutheran dude, woke, uh, got, uh, was baptized in the Lutheran church, and I think, and then just kind of, when both of his brothers died in a plane crash, both of my uncles as a fourth grader, I think that really, I think that really messed with him. All right? It, it was the typical kind of, if, there, if there's a God, why would this happen to my brother, one who's 29 and one who's 40? I was a fourth grader. I remember kind of navigating through all that. It was very difficult, and I can see why that would mess him up a little bit. And so I think from there, he kind of went more agnostic into atheist. I don't know, but he's a really good man, all right? He's a good dude, and he's always given us love. But I didn't really have anything. In the sixth grade, seventh grade year there, my, my mom and dad got divorced, and so upset with both of them, rightfully so, I moved in with my grandmother, who's this big Polish woman who had like hairs growing out of a mole, you know, here or there, and like had a low voice and could have crushed me. And she's like, if you're gonna live with me, you're going to mass. And I'm like, okay. Mom said this would be a happy place. You know, kind of scared for my life from like an 80 year old woman, all right, who could crush my head. And so I move in with her and she's like, you're going to mass. So I went to mass with her for about a year and a half, two years. And so then I got back, I moved back in with my mother because my mother was an alcoholic. So I moved in with my mom and I thought at ninth grade, at least this, this gives her something to latch onto so that she has something where she can serve outside of herself and it'll give her, it can put her mind on something other than stuff that is bad for her in a way to cope with the divorce. So I lived with her and it was fine. It wasn't the easiest thing but we made it happen. And then I graduated from high school. My mother ended up with a traumatic brain injury my senior year, and I ended up landing in a nursing home up here. And so it worked out well that I went to school here. But I remember the one thing that my grandmother instilled in me was you go to mass, all right? But that was about it. And then CCD was kind of a joke. I don't know if any of you guys could relate with me, but the guy that was in front of us with CCD, we would always just kind of like joke around about how far is too far and he would never know what to say. Just be like, don't be making out. That's what you gotta know, just don't be doing that. Because bad stuff happens after midnight. And we'd be like, well, why? And he was like, just don't worry about it. Don't question me, boy. And that was it. So I'm like, oh, thanks, this is great. I don't, I don't know anything. So I get to college and I'm dating this girl from high school and I date her as I get here and it just didn't work out. So I broke up with her and that's when I met Tamara. Okay, and so I meet Tamara all right, and so I'll put her back kind of there at the front and center. And as I get to know her, I realize she's not Catholic. 
And so I'm like, this isn't any big deal. I think she's hot. I don't really care. I'm attracted to her. I don't really care. Uh, she's pretty awesome. What's the big deal? I mean, in the end, uh, how, how convicted of like the evangelical free church could she be? I mean, I don't know. And so we stay pretty good friends. Now, she didn't come to the university right, right away. I was four and a half years older than her. And so my sophomore year, about, about the end of my freshman year here, I got to know who she was because my best friend and I played football. My best friend dated her sister. So I got to know uh, her sister, Tanya, who's an athletic trainer for the football team. And then one, at, one weekend, Tamara came up with her family. And so this is how I got to know her. And to be quite honest, nothing started out as, as a um, virtuous friendship. It was all based on like pleasure and my attraction towards her. That's it. And so all I had to hang my hat on was, I think this girl is good looking. And that was it. And then as I got to know her, I started to realize how good she was for me. All right? And so if you're aware at all of Karawatiya's love and responsibility, it started out as love is attraction, which I saw her as a good. But then it went to love is desire, in which case it became, I think she's good for me. And then slowly but surely, it needed to become love as goodwill, where I desired her good and she desired my good back. But we got to know each other. She was in high school still, so I wouldn't date her until she came here. So she comes here her freshman year, and that's when we began to date. So I was good friends with her, decent friends with her, for a year and a half to two years before we even began dating. So then she comes here. I'm out with a medical red shirt. She's here going to school, running track at the University of Mary. And that's when it all began. And I started to realize, as like four and five and six and seven and eight months go by, how much I'm into this girl. And then my grandmother's asking me, is she Catholic? And I'm saying, <coughs> really? No. What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> kind of low. I'm like, wow, what's the big deal? Right? Okay. And then uh, my brother's kind of asking me. And I'm starting to develop more and more feelings for her. And I'm starting to realize that she's really convicted to a degree to her Protestant faith, predominantly because her mother and father were responsible for starting their church in her hometown of Hot Springs, South Dakota. The same church that her grandmother and her grandfather started to kind of build with their own hands 25, 30 years prior to that. And so she's got this She's got these feelings of, of um, commitment to her mom and dad and doesn't want to what? Disappoint them. She doesn't want to disappoint her mom and dad. Have any of you ever been there? Especially, especially you ladies, disappoint your dad? This is constantly harboring in her heart. But yet, you guys, but yet, the problem is, is that... The problem is, is that she wasn't convicted that the evangelical free tenets, teachings, 
were, were 100% true in her mind, in her heart, in her mind mostly. So she would, she would kind of dabble in all kinds of different Protestant denominations in the two years, you know, her freshman or sophomore year. I mean, I would go, you guys, to a different Protestant church every weekend, and she would go to the Cathedral of the Holy Spirit with me at the 10 a.m. We would go to two church services. I went to Foursquare up by Capitol Racket. That was a two-hour service. And then we'd go to Mass for an hour. I went into Evangel Temple. I went to Charity Lutheran. I went to First Evangelical Free up north. I went to Century Baptist. I went to Charity Lutheran. Did I say Charity Lutheran? I went to Trinity Lutheran. I think I went to the Century Baptist Church. I mean, I, I don't think I went to that open door church on 7th. But that's like one of the only ones I didn't go to. And she would still go to Mass with me. But here's the thing. She, you guys, was struggling. She was struggling with the feelings of what she was going to do to her mom and dad. She was struggling with the internal feelings, the perception of her mom and dad. She wasn't even thinking about continuing on with her faith in the area of truth. She wasn't even getting to that point. It was all predicated on feeling, if you will. And I don't think it was till about two years into our relationship where we literally, you guys, we literally were going to the Lutheran church across the street from the YMCA. Good Shepherd. And I got caught up in this. I got caught up in the feelings. I got caught up in the emotions. I got caught up in what, in, what each individual thinks or feels about reality is true. I went to that Lutheran church with her and stopped going to Mass. We met with the Protestant pastor I got a pretty good head on my shoulders, and my grandmother said, don't, just don't stop going to Mass. I think I stopped for a while. And I went to this church, and we met with the pastor there, and we said, here's the deal. She's, I mean, we rationalized this in our heads. She's evangelical free. I'm Catholic. Middle ground sounds good. Let's go with Luther. Woohoo! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was that messed up. And so we started meeting with this pastor. Nobody knew this except the two of us. And I got the Lutheran Catechism, and I read it, and I read it in like uh, an hour and a half. Okay, I read everything. And we met with this pastor a few times, and we're explaining the situation to her. And she's like, you guys, I'm not kidding you, and this is no knock on a Protestant pastor. She's like, you guys got to do what feels right. I'm not kidding you. I will never forget it. You guys got to do what feels right. If this is what feels right, you go with it. And I'm like, wow, I'll listen to anybody that's going to help me understand how we're going to make this work because my wife is never going to leave her faith and I'm not, you know, inclined to leave my faith. But if I can latch on to somebody who's, you know, trying to help us along, I'm going to do it. And so I was reeling for that. You guys just do what feels right. Guys, I wasn't convicted of, the, of, the, of, of what uh, the, the Lutheran Catechism was teaching. 
No offense on Lutherans. My wife is not Catholic. She wasn't Catholic. Her family isn't Catholic to this day. I love them like they're my own. They love Jesus Christ, period. But let's, let's call a spade a spade. I wasn't convicted of it. I was doing it for the sake of trying to make this relationship work. I was sacrificing truth for feeling and emotion. And how often do we do it in today's day and age? She was wishy-washy in hers, and to be quite honest, we kind of just fell into this. I mean, they're all the same. We love Jesus! Who needs the Mass? I don't need the Eucharist. Stupid. Don't feel any different. Ooh, there's feeling again. Don't feel any different when I receive it anyway. It's not him, because I don't feel it. You can see how easy it is. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I was going to school at the University of Mary, I would say that every other time I went to the Eucharist, I didn't think it was him. It doesn't matter what I think and what I feel, because objective reality, objective truth is reality as it is, apart from what I think or feel. Because Christ is truth, and if Christ says, this is my body, and if he says, this is my blood, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have life, who am I to trump God? Think about that for a second. That's a very simple example, very rudimentary example of where this can happen. And so it's happening in my relationship with my girlfriend, and it's happening in a disastrous way. Because I know deep down that I'm going to regret this. But I just keep going with it. And I'll tell you what, this is why you got to have good friendships. This is why you got to have not just not just pleasant use, you know, and useful relationships, because those are fun, I won't lie. But you've got to have good, virtuous friendships that care about you and about your good and about your future and about your soul, and they're predicated upon something bigger than self, and they unite you. And I did this for my brother nine years prior when he was having an affair on his wife. I said, if you leave your wife and two kids... You have been a father to me, and if you leave your wife and two kids, our relationship will never be the same because you have something so beautiful right now, and you won't know what you have until you lose it. So if you don't tell your wife what's going on, I will. He's nine years older than me, so that was a little bit. That took a little bit of... That was tough. I was in his kitchen, and I thought he was going to choke me out. I was waiting for it. And we were in each other's face spitting at each other. So then speed ahead, he looks me in the eye one day because my sister had found out about this. He says, hey, uh, did you know what your brother's doing? And my brother was home watching me play in a football game. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Now, I had called him out, like I said, a few years earlier. And now here it was his turn to call me out. And so he says to me, what are you doing? And I'm like, girl. <clears throat> He's like, what are you doing? Me and Tam are going to find a, a middle spot and think I'm going to leave the church for a girl. He's like, I will kick your ass. Why are you talking stupid right now? You know better. And so it wasn't long after that. I'm playing in a football game, you guys. And I, catch a foot, I catch the ball in the end zone my senior year after I went off that stress fracture, medical redshirt. I get back. I'm starting playing right out here at the bowl. It's fall break. I catch a touchdown in the end zone, helmet to helmet, break my neck, catch the ball, touchdown though. Go out on that, 
scored on the touchdown. Compression fractured my T4. I'm off the field. I'm in the hospital. Done. Career's over. I'm at kind of a breaking point. Thinking about the church, not being in the church, my wife, uh, my wife to be perhaps. We're wishy-washy. We don't know what we believe, but we kind of do. It's a mess. She comes back. She takes care of me for three weeks while I'm on my back. I'm in a neck brace for 12 weeks. Can't look down. Have to make sure this stays so I don't have any vertebrae, you know, going through the spinal cord. I'm blessed and completely beyond all measure that I'm not even paralyzed. I'm laying down. She stays with me for three weeks. I break up with her. I'm like, we're done. I don't know what's going on right now, but we can't be together right now. It's just the best for everyone. Another like week goes by. I'm laying in my bed and I'm a mess. And this Catholic priest who I'd met out here calls me and says, how's everything going? I'm like, it's terrible. It couldn't get much worse at this time. You know about my neck and then you know Tamara and I broke up with Tamara. And he's like, what do you mean you broke up with Tamara? I'm like, I broke up with her. Why? Because she ain't Catholic. And I, want, and I know who I am, so sort of. <laughs> and so I just don't think it's going to work. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I, I said, she's, she's evangelical free, and you know that I'm Catholic, and you realize we were going to a Lutheran church. And he's like, uh, it seems to me you've got to do a couple things here. Y you need to pencil out what is objectively right. And your wife is a 19-year-old Protestant evangelical free from Hot Springs, South Dakota. And she has the gift of faith and she is who she is. And uh, you're a 185-pound white kid who can't play football anymore, who was baptized in the Catholic Church, who is a Catholic young, young man for a reason. And you need to figure out What's objectively reality, objective reality in your life? And you need to come to grips with that in your life and in her life. Period. These are the realities. Regardless of what you think or feel, buddy. Right here they are. And so you need, you need to understand that and you need to love her. And if you are convicted of what the church is and that the church possesses the fullness of truth for your salvation, then you need to help her, assist her to continue on in her journey for the search for truth. And if you're not willing to do that, I don't know what to tell you. So I get off the phone with him and we have this discussion, her and I. And I said to her this, I said, the reason I broke up with you is because I'm a mess. I know that I shouldn't be where I am right now with the whole faith element. You know I believe what I believe more than, I do, than, I, than I'm leading on to. And I, I'm kind of doing this for you because we seem like it, it seems like it's a, it's a hopeless cause. And so I went this way to make it work. But, but I feel like a phony. And I feel like a fake. And I feel like I need to. And it's not just like I feel like it. <laughs> I'm like... Deep down when I sit in the recesses of my heart as I'm laying in my bed, I'm a phony. I am. And so I'm putting on this duplicate life for you so that we can try to make it happen. But I can't do this. 
Because I do believe that the church possesses the fullness of truth. I do believe in the truths of the church. And I know you don't, but I, I have to tell you, we got to stay apart for a while, and we did. And I was away from her for a month. And I prayed through a lot of stuff, and I talked to a lot of people, and Monsignor Tom Richter has always been the one man that I have leaned, you know, leaned on and looked to for guidance in this area because he was a real man, and he loved the church. And he stood for truth, and any Richter does. All right? And many of them are my best friends. And so I'm telling you that you go to the people that you know can make sense of it all and can call you out and can say, here is reality. Now use your dang head and think through things. And so students, as I did that and I took this month away from her, I realized that I at least have to tell her if this is going to work. We've been together for two years and friends for two. I've been with her for four years. She's going to have to at least raise the children Catholic. I don't expect her to be Catholic. I can't do that to her, right? I can't expect her to be Catholic for me because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't for who? Her. And how far did that get me? I was a mess. There was no meaning. It was wishy-washy. Okay? And so I ended up saying to her, though, here is who we are. Let's not deny who we are. Let's look at, let's look at reality as it is. All right? And I do believe in my faith. I am 100% convicted of it. It goes back to how I was raised and who I was raised to be in my baptism. And I said, you don't have to be Catholic, but you have to raise the kids Catholic. I need that of you. Because I can't go the other way. And she's bawling her eyes out. I can't do that. My mom and dad. You know, she's got all of these strings attached to her heart. But in the end, you guys, none of them really had to do with the truths of the faith. And she hadn't even really delved into it much. And so I gave her these resources. There's literally a book called Letters Between a Catholic and Evangelical Free, written by a pastor and a priest. I found that book. I said, here you go. You read it. I'll read it. Let's talk through things. But I'm, stay I'm taking a step back. Because we had done this before, too, and I was pressuring her too much rather than letting the Holy Spirit guide her. I was pressuring her too much, you guys. And as a result of that, I was pushing her away. Hmm. And so finally, when we kind of came back together, I said, you take your time on this. And then the biggest thing that she did is she read Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper. And in reading The Lamb's Supper, it was there that she began to realize, she'll talk about this tonight, it was there that she began to realize all of the Old Testament connections to the Passover in what the Jewish scriptures had to say in leading the way to what we as a Catholic Church believe today. Going back to the apostles breaking bread, celebrating the Eucharist, how that Jewish Passover then corresponded with the apostles doing it. And the Didache manuscript being the oldest manuscript in the church talking about the liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. The facts were all right there. And then how we're doing that today. And she started to realize, wait a minute, my, my church was a branch that came off of the Lutheran church. And I don't really 
we talk about a scripture verse that the pastor wants to talk about, and then he's, he talks about it for an hour and a half, and there's no, you know, and I literally was there with her, you guys, when they would take a piece of bread off the loaf and, a, and some grape juice, and they would drink it at her service once a month. And when she read this Lamb Supper and began to intellectually put it all together, it, it was like something started to happen in her own soul that ignited this desire for truth more and more. And then you guys, her medical background, reading, I think it was uh, Rome Sweet Home from Kimberly Hahn. Kimberly Hahn came into the church because of the understanding of contraception and what, and what the pill does to a woman's body and how it doesn't add up with our understanding of what the marital embrace is and with what the ends of marriage and the ends of the sexual act are. And she had never been taught this stuff. And you really can't, you really can't, the, you can't fault the Protestant oftentimes for what they believe about birth control because they haven't been given, any, haven't been given anything else. She just did what her mom did. She did what her sister was doing, and she was on the birth control pill. And so if you don't know any better, sometimes <clears throat> you operate off of invincible ignorance, ignorance you can't overcome until you know differently. But then she started to know differently. And then she started to realize, wow, there's way more to this. And I wasn't pushing. I was just praying. It was like, it was like Monica's situation with Augustine. Stop talking to Augustine about God and start talking to God about Augustine and see what happens, right? And so that's what I began to do. And the Holy Spirit started to work in her life. And one day she comes to me, you guys, after uh, we had gotten back together after that month breakup and said, I want to I come into full communion with the church. I'm like, okay. She's like, I want to start receiving the Eucharist. I'm like, okay. Well, at that time, there was a church that was allowing you to receive the Eucharist, and you didn't have to be Catholic yet. And that's where she wanted to go. And I said, no. And she started bawling. I'm like, if you want to be Catholic, we need to do this right. We need to write, we need to, if, you, if this is what you're convicted of, if this is what you believe, then we need to do this right. And you need to be in full communion with the church so that when you receive communion, you're in full communion with the church. And so that's when I put her in front of Monsignor Tom Richter. And we started walking through the faith from the beginning. And we looked at it philosophically and theologically. And he walked her through it. And when we got married, she wasn't Catholic. But two years into our marriage, she then came into full communion with the church. We got married in 06. She came into full communion with the church at the Easter Vigil in 08. And here's the thing, you guys. This is what my wife did that you and me need to continue to do. This is why, for another reason, she is heroic to me. You notice this picture, and it comes from sacred scripture. It's Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If you notice this picture, Jesus is in front of what? The door that doesn't have a what? What would be right here? A knob. Where's the knob? It's on the other side. Because Jesus isn't going to force his way into our heart. But you have to open up your heart. You have to unlock the door for Christ to enter in. And when he enters in, you will never be the same. Why? Because Jesus says it very clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And you guys, when it comes to our Catholic faith, if we believe Jesus founded the church, and we believe that in a beautiful way, Pope Benedict is the vicar of Christ, and we believe that all that Jesus gave in order to allow us the ability to be saved, that the church possesses this. And that she gives it to us and dispenses it to us through the truths of the faith, but also through the divine grace that the sacraments give us. Now this didn't just come easy for me and my wife. This was a hard-fought struggle where if we would have went with feelings, we would not have meaning in our life today. We would not have meaning in our life today. But I will tell you this. You know what the Catholic Church provides me with? A goal. Every one of us has to have a philosophy in our life. I'm an assistant principal at a Catholic high school. I just checked out a book because I can't find it anywhere else in the city. A Catholic philosophy of education. In order to have a philosophy of education, you have to have a philosophy of life. If you don't have a good philosophy about life, you don't have a good philosophy of education. What the University of Mary is giving you is both a philosophy of life, a philosophy of education. You have to dig a little bit, and that's what we want to give our students at St. Mary's Central High School, so that they can get this holistic education on how it all comes together. What I'm telling you is this. My philosophy of life is this. And guys, I believe it is objective reality, apart from what I think or feel. And this is why I can come out here and I can stand before you confidently and say <coughs> that my meaning of life is to love and be loved in order to get to heaven. If you want to go to the Baltimore Catechism, it's to know, love, serve Christ in this life so you can be with him in the next and experience the happiness on this life and what the next life has to give you. But that's what I'm willing to die for. And that's why it's easy for me to step into a night class, to be away from my family, and to say to you guys, guess what? You better start cranking it up a little bit. And if you don't know what it is that we believe, and you're Catholic, or even if you're not Catholic, you need to be, you need to be open to searching truth. Okay? You need to be open to searching truth. That's what you can be open to. And then when you start to find that, and you are convicted of it, that's when you bite down and stop being closed-minded. And that's where I'm at now. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there. My wife, she was at least docile enough to the promptings of truth to get to a point, you guys, where she could say with her highest faculty given to the human person, the intellect, this makes sense. And then the will, the next faculty, it followed. And then the passions, the body, the emotions, it, it came through with it. But guys, you and me, we can't be making decisions all the time based on our feelings. This doesn't work. This is what's messing up society. If it feels good, do it. And I'm talking in every area, not just sexuality. It would have felt a lot better for my brother to leave his wife. He was in love with another girl. By his understanding of love, she was hot. His wife had two kids, wasn't as hot anymore. 
This chick was into it. Felt great. And that's what I'm going to get into next. But that's not how we make decisions. But if we want to base it off of, we want to base it off of this, then we do. Now, what I want to do is I want to walk you through what this looks like in the area of marriage. What are the problems with relativism and what does it do to a man that's married? I would say it would make sense for you to write this down. The first problem with relativism is that it takes the meaning out of life. Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger in 03, before he was the Pope, he said relativism, which considers opinions true even if they're contradictory, is the greatest problem of our time. And so we could use something along the lines of, I don't know, abortion. We could say, take something along the lines of same-sex marriage. Whatever moral issue you want to use, he would say something cannot both be and not be in the same time in the same respect. It breaks the law of non-contradictory. Joseph Ratzinger was on to something here. But here is what I want to say to you in regards to the marriage, to marital relativism. Because I experienced it in my dating world, you guys. It just happened to be with denominationalism. Go with your feelings. I experienced it then in a different capacity than perhaps you guys are experiencing it. But I'm telling you this, be awake and be ahead of the game when it comes to this mixed marriage thing. It's a huge cross. But when you start talking about marriage, this is probably the most detrimental problem. It takes the meaning out of life. And so, how is that possible? I don't know about you guys, but I would say this. When I look at that family, if I don't have an inherent understanding of what the meaning of life is, which I just told you, it's very simple. To love and be loved in order to get to heaven. The end game is heaven. And I'm going to plug into my Catholic faith as the vehicle to that salvation. If I don't have an end game in mind, if I don't have this inherent understanding of what the meaning of life is, you guys, then I'm not going to know who I am. Because I can tell you this, I do know who I am. I know that I'm a child of God, uniquely loved by God, just me. And I know that inside of that identity that I am then called to uniquely love this woman and these children unlike anybody else can do, because you can't do it, but I can. <coughs> so I know who I am. But guys, if I just go based on my feelings, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. I can go whatever way I want to go. I'm a big businessman. I'm assistant principal, or I'm CEO, or I'm this and I'm that. And now I don't have any meaning other than I just got to be successful. <laughs> I just got to make a lot of money. How about this one? I don't know how to suffer. You guys... We just buried at the cathedral a woman who's 41 who has cancer. 
She left back a sixth grader and a first grader. The first grader is in my son Brady's class. Just this last weekend, another mom passed away suddenly. That was a mother of a sixth grade girl at St. Mary's grade school. My good friend, Dr. James Link, has a wife, Tanya Link. They have seven children's children, and she has an aggressive form and a very difficult form of lymphoma. Student out here and someone that I teach at St. Mary's Central High School, her mother has a terrible form of leukemia. A good friend of mine just got a kidney transplant from his brother so that he could continue on and be a dad to his six kids and a husband to his wife. If you take the meaning out of life, you guys, and it comes down to what is my opinion, and what do I think and what do I feel, and it's not this inherent understanding of what it means to be here, you don't understand that you can actually continue to love and unite your suffering with that cross right there through all of it. And I'm not promised, you guys, a walk in the park here in peaches and cream and roses. Something could happen to one of these guys just like that, and my wife could have cancer just like Dr. James Links does. And now where do I go? No, I just discover my own path and do whatever works for me. Uh, value clarification. All I gotta do is highlight what my values are, and then I live with them. And then I try to figure that out. And I just keep going. Whatever I value at this time, I live out. And if I don't value it now five years down the road, I just value something else, and then I live that out. It's messed up. It's messed up. You know that to value something, which is an idea, is much easier to live out the virtue, which is an action. You and I know this. So problem one with relativism that I could see in my own marriage, there it is. Problem number two, problem with relativism. Morality becomes a question of personal taste. Now let's Brady out of Broncos game. Okay, I took him to the opening Broncos game, opening football in Denver this last year. I let the kid watch Peyton Manning one time and he fell in love with him. I'm a Cowboys fan, so that kind of backfired. And so now the kid can't get Bronco mania out of his head. And so now he's got his younger brother liking the Broncos, and I don't know where the hell I screwed up with this. But you know, usually the dad allows, you know, a harmonious obsession to happen within the family. And then you can all like latch onto it like we did with hunting. Okay, now I've at least done it with twins baseball and like fighting Irish basketball and football. But I totally screwed up with the NFL team. But there were far worse things in life. Now guys, morality becomes a question of personal taste. Like I said, it comes down to value clarification. Value clarification. As long as I have that, you guys, I'm okay. Did you guys ever hear what Obama said when someone asked him what is sin? Now I'm not I don't want to pick I don't I don't want to pick on Barack Obama, but I'm going to just with this one. But he is not alone in this. When somebody said, President Obama, what is sin? He said, being out of alignment with my values. 
being out of alignment with my values. A value is an idea about something, and it has to do with an opinion, and oftentimes even a feeling. But it's not an objective reality. I guess you could say it's not an absolute truth in which we believe comes from God and the natural law. And so if it comes from God and the natural law, we know it's objective apart from what we think or feel. But if it comes down to then a personal value, you can see how it's not just, it's not just President Obama. It's, it's a lot of us. And I've, conf I've fallen into this. I totally have. I fell into it with my own wife in the area of you know, truth with the denomination, but I can fall into it just like that morality-wise morality too. But look at this, you guys. This is what I see right now inside of marriage. If I were to go based on value clarification on what I think and what I feel, and I was messed up, here's what it could look like. Now look at this one, okay? Here's my son, Brady. He happens to like football a lot. But let's say Brady comes to me and says, Dad, I think that I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. Now, I'm being dead serious right now. That's what this is. Now, you guys, you and I know many people, and I have a cousin <clears throat> who was born a girl, but thinks she's a boy. Internally, she feels like she's a boy. But objectively tangible reality, she is a girl. But her feelings and her perceptions and her internal understanding and her psychological understanding of who she is, is girl. Objective reality, female anatomy. There it is. It's as objective as it gets. God created you this way. Now you have something going on internally, in which case you feel as though you are a boy trapped in a girl's body. But what makes more sense, you guys? <clears throat> now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all the biological reasoning for this, but I am going to say that a lot of times it comes down to sociological, it comes down to psychological, and it comes down to what the heck is the end game with this? Maybe a sex change. Because I've got to meet my body to what I think I am. I've got to match my body to what I think I am. When really, wouldn't it make more sense to just simply allow yourself the ability to talk with somebody who understands what's going on psychologically, sociologically, to at least visit with you about this, to try to help you to take the thing, those feelings that might be disordered and order them properly. I'm not saying that I know everybody's situation perfectly because I'd be lying if I did. I don't. But I'm gonna tell you this, it is my job if my son comes to me, I'm just telling you, here it is, this is my blood. And I know many psychologists that would say, you do what feels good. If you think, Brady, if you think you're a girl, let's work through this and let's get to the next step. Maybe we start giving you some hormones and then down the road, way down the road, maybe you need to get a sex change. That's the end game in this, you guys. You know it is. The end game with this is to then take the next step. If you don't believe me, all you gotta do is talk to somebody who knows way more than I do. Dr. James Lincoln said it to me very clearly. He's worked with a man who was married. He was a man, he's got the man genitalia. He worked with the guy. He 
He's married, has three kids, thought he was a woman trapped in a man's body, ended up saying, screw America, I'm going to Belgium, got a sex change, came back, everything was a mess. Everything was a mess. His mom, his wife, his kids didn't know what to do. They're like, what the hell is going on? And you can't, you can't help but feel and love somebody. If this was my kid, it's my job to, to help him with reality. I've got to help him know who he is. And I've got to guide him. Maybe it's Dr. Link giving him some psychotherapy. I don't know. Maybe it's because, um, maybe it's because I was too much of a jerk culturally, environmentally in my house. I have no idea. Maybe there's a sociological element to it. <clears throat> Perhaps there is something biological. And he has a genetic predisposition a little bit to be more on the feminine side. And then I brought some of that stuff out. As a dad, I was a jerk. I wasn't very good. I wasn't very loving. I don't know. But it's then my job to make it right, however I have to. And I can't sugarcoat it with, just go with what you feel. I have to guide this kid and I have to help him be clear. But if I base it off of go with what feels right and go with what feels good, this could become a disaster for this young man. Because the next thing you know, he's going to school in the second grade wearing a dress. I'm dead serious. <laughs> next one, adultery. Yeah, you know, I mean, here's the thing. don't have anything inherently in me guiding me, you know? So I can just leave my wife. Good looking woman on the plane. I'm going away June 25th, 26th to the University of Notre Dame to a leadership conference. I could sleep with her right there. I could. I mean, if I'm gonna base this, if I'm gonna allow this to seep in, why not just, you know, why not go here? Why not let it go to the next spot? All right, same thing with this. It's not hurting anyone. It's okay. It's all right for me to objectify another woman for selfish gratification at the expense of somebody else. I mean, I'm not hurting anyone. You know better than that. So do I. I would say same-sex attraction. If my son is having to deal with that, I gotta love him no matter what. I gotta love him here no matter what. He's a child of God. I understand this. I love him unconditionally. But I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta then figure out how I can help him understand that just because I feel something or I feel some way doesn't mean that I act some way or I act on it, right? I have to help him understand that I, can, I couldn't act towards his mother with the inclinations that I had to sleep with his mother before we were married. I couldn't do that. I couldn't act on that. That wasn't right because I, I knew what was right and what was wrong. You can't act. Let's, clear, let's clarify here. Now to some, same-sex attraction might seem more grave than what I just said, but the reality is the inclination isn't right. Inclination isn't the sin. The person isn't the sin. The inclination isn't the sin. It's when the inclination moves to the action that becomes the sin, right? We all know that. It's not the person that's disordered. It's the inclination that's disordered. All right? You've got to love everyone. Everyone needs to be loved. But we owe it to them to make them clear or to at least allow them to be clear. And then parenting my kids in general. I tell them one, two sets of three. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. That's a moral component. 
practical level, don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. But if, it's, if, it, if it comes down to what I believe to be right, what if I don't think lying is wrong? What if I think cheating's okay? Just get through high school, you know? Do what you gotta do. What your old man did. And your last one. Makes us easy to manipulate. Moral relativism, in the marital scope of things, it makes us easy to manipulate. All right? In other words, our rights as people come from the person with the most power or the biggest gun. Or the biggest weapons. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Now, again, I said I was going to focus in on marital. So here's what I'm going to say. When it comes to our Catholic faith, and the churches where she's pregnant right there, by the way, with Gianna. When it comes to our Catholic faith and, and the wisdom she has, in the area of marriage, it's unparalleled. You guys, you know as well as I that the people with the most power can manipulate. All right? We can look at it in a larger scale. We can look at it in, in the area of government, making laws about certain things that we might not agree with morally. You can look at it in all kinds of different ways. But the one area that I'm just going to simply focus in on, because it's marital, would be NFP versus utilitarianism. All right? The one thing that helps me as a man is not setting my wife up to act as though, you know, she's the sexual gatekeeper for my needs but rather it's this communicating with one another and it's experiencing intimacy which is simply revealing yourself to the other person in ways even above and beyond sexuality. And if I take natural family planning out of the equation where it's just simply me and my wife planning our family on her natural cycle trying to avoid or achieve pregnancy based on based on the reality of our family. If I take that out and I can manipulate her into giving me what I want whenever I want it, and I have now no ability to be tempered and controlled as a man, my family is going to be chaotic. When I can get whatever I want whenever I want and I can work my way in and manipulate, this is a problem. And so if you take out this understanding of what the marital act is intended to be for, procreative and unitive, inside of a marriage and inside of the sexual act, and you don't understand it, and it just becomes what you want it to be, and you value clarify it. Someone's getting used a lot. Someone's getting manipulated quite a bit. And in the end of it, in the end, I'm not learning. I'm not learning how to be a virtuous man. So natural family planning is a way in which I am able to combat this idea of the opposite of love, which is use, which is rooted in utilitarianism. And this is why I say to you, <coughs> pornography is not doing any, any boys, any 
any boys, any favors in the area of preparing you to be a good man in your marriage. It's got to be stopped. It does. And it's an, it's an epidemic. It's a crisis. All right? And I'll tell you, it, it, uh, it's something that we need to have on our radar and be aware of. And it has no place in a relationship. Now, I'm saying just do the best you can to stop it. Get yourself to confession. Talk to a priest. Get some help and keep receiving the sacraments and even pray and fast about it. But it's got to be stopped. You know? Okay, we talked through that. I want you to do this. I want you to, uh, I want you to take, a, what I want you to do right now is I want you to get out a sheet of paper and I want you to write down a question, any question that you might have in the area of dating, courtship, marriage, anything that I asked you or told you about inside my story with Tamara. You don't need to put your name on it. Any question that you have, she's going to be showing up here at about 8, 8.05. Okay? We're just going to sit up here and go through them. When we're done, you're out of here. Okay? You know, it, guess what? It does not have to be about marriage. It can be about where you're at right now. She can give her perspective, and if you want mine, I can give you mine. Okay? But she's wonderful, and I want her to kind of be able to glow a little bit with what she can offer you, because you've heard me talk too much. All right? So go ahead and do that. You guys want to see Father Waltz get his butt kicked? Yeah, while you're doing that, I'll play that quick. Write that down, I'll get after it.